Turning your Bibles to Genesis 35, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Genesis. We're seeing really the focus in this section is really on the life of Jacob. And we're seeing tonight Jacob gets right with God, and God reminds him of the promise and the covenant. It's really a powerful passage. And in this passage, there's happiness. Then there's sorrow, there's sin, and there's worship. And as we see this passage, we think about dealing with sin and the consequences and the sovereignty of God and all His promises. All of that all ties together in this passage. There's so much. As we do this, let's think about several issues. First of all, uh, what is involved in getting right with God and worshiping Him? Because that's what's happened. There's been sin in their lives, and they're going back to Bethel. And, and when they get back to Bethel, God says, okay, you've got to come back and get your life right. And we see what they did. Second is, what are, what are God's promises to us? We th- see the promise He gave there. We think about God's promise. To us, and the Bible's full of them. And then, do we see God working in all events? Because in the events of this whole passage, we see uh, someone dying and a baby being born, and I mean, just so many different things. So there's a lot. So may we understand it. And and as we go through this passage, of course, continuing our study of the Book of Genesis, and we're nearing really, we're getting toward the end of looking at the life of Jacob. We've seen Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and we get toward near the end of the life of Jacob because not too long after this, we begin to focus on Joseph. And really the rest of the book primarily is going to be Joseph. So there's some great things there. Let's start with a prayer and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, what a great night. We just thank you for the privilege of studying the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the, the, the Old Testament, especially the book of Genesis. Lord, we know that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instructions so that we can learn from them and grow. We just pray, Lord, as we look at these things that you'll teach us so that we can see things that we can apply right now in our lives. Lord, I, <clears throat> I thank you for this body of believers, the privilege we have of gathering together together all the different gifts talents and abilities that are here the the way that you use us for your glory we pray lord that uh, as we scatter out we've come together tonight to worship you and to to be trained and equipped but as we scatter out lord we just ask you that wherever you put us wherever we go that we'll be representatives we'll be ambassadors we'll give the the good news message of salvation and we'll uh, be used by by you to touch lives for jesus christ lord teach us now we ask all of this in jesus name amen well, promises, you know, there are promises all over. When we make a promise, we, we know, we say, that I'm going to do something. And we mean to keep our promises. I know that's true, that, but sometimes we fail. The, the truth is, uh, we just don't always do what we say. Sometimes we just, we just don't have the power. We'll say, I'll be there at a certain time, and that's a promise. But we get up, and the car won't crank, or something happens, and there's something that's out of our control, and we can't be there. And that's because we're not God. You know, one great truth about it is that whatever God says, He does. That whenever he makes a promise, he always does it. As Abraham said, he is able to do whatever he promises. Titus says, God who promises, uh, God who cannot lie promised eternal life. So when God says something, he, he does it, and we can count on it. Tonight, as we look at this passage, once again, we see God reminding Jacob of his promises to Jacob. And this deals with the covenant. It goes back to Abraham. And if you remember, God made a promise to Abraham. He gave him the covenant. He said, I will give you the land, the seed, the blessing. The land is what we call the land of Israel. The seed is the offspring of the nation. And then ultimately, Jesus Christ, the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, and the Savior. And then the blessings, the blessings to Abraham and to all the world, which comes through the Messiah, came right back and gave exactly the same promises to Isaac. Said, you'll have the land, you'll have the seed, you'll have the blessing. And then tonight, as we realize that God already in Genesis 28 came to Jacob and said, I'll give you the land, the seed, and the blessing. Tonight in our passage, he goes back over that again and he reminds him, starting about verse 9, he reminds him of the promises. So it's pretty powerful. Now, let's, let's sort of remember where we are. When you think about the book of Genesis, we've said this over and over, but it's just something to remember. The book of Genesis has four great events and four great people. The four great events are the creation, the fall, the flood, and the division. 
nation. That's the first part of the book. Then it has four great people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. That's how the book fits together. We've seen the life of Abraham already as we went through. We've seen the life of Isaac, and now we're seeing the life of Jacob. And that's just about through, and then we'll get to Joseph. So there's a lot. When you think about Jacob, where we are, Jacob has returned to the promised land. He lived in the promised land. He was the deceiver. That's what the name Jacob means. He tricked his brother out of his birthright and out of his blessing. And his brother Esau wanted to kill him, and so he left. He would have been gone 20 years to be with Uncle Laban. And all the time that he was there, he tricked Uncle Laban, and Uncle Laban tricked him. That's what that's what their life was. 20 years have passed. He has come back to the land, and he thought his brother would kill him when he came back. But Esau actually loved him, and they came back, and they hugged, and everything looks like it's going to be good, or so we thought. We know that when Jacob left, he left from a place called Bethel, which means house of God. His plan was basically to go back there, but when he comes back, he doesn't go back to Bethel. And the best that we can tell is maybe the reason he doesn't go back to Bethel is because he's not exactly right with God yet. They ended up going to a place called Shechem, which ended up being a really bad thing because when they got to Shechem, the man... Uh, the, the city was named after was the son of a king, and he thought he was a king, and he raped Dinah, one of the one of the uh, the sister of these twelve Jacob's twelve sons. And then he came to him and said, "Oh, I'd like to marry her." Well, they were really upset, as you know, and so uh, they tricked them. They lied to him and ended up killing everybody there. So it was just a wild, bad time, and, and so they've done some really, really bad things. And uh, now it's time for them to get right with God. And so when we talk about this, I talk about getting right with God and to worship Him. We said that there were really four things we see in the passage about getting right with God. They had to deal with sin. They had to confess and cleanse. They had to remember God's promises. And then there ended up being an act of worship. That's really the four things. And we've been seeing those. And we've seen the first two already. And I'll remind you of those in just a second. But let me break down this passage for you tonight, how it fits together. We see in Genesis 35, 9 through 29, where we are. 9 through 15 is that he's going to remind him of the covenant. We're going to see the birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel. Then we're going to see the sin of Reuben and the listing of the sons. And then we end the passage with the death of Isaac. And Isaac is 180 years old. Just amazing. And so that's how it fits together. Now, when you when you think about this whole idea, you remember we said deal with sin, confess and cleanse, remember God's promises and acts of worship. That all went together. I want you to go back to verses, basically verse 2 and 3. In fact, go back to chapter 35. Look at verse 1. We see something. God said to Jacob, Arise and go up to Bethel and live there. Now, he should have already been in Bethel, but he never went there. And now God actually tells him, go back to Bethel. Now, the word Bethel comes from two words, Bayat El. El means God, Bayat means house, so Bethel means the house of God. He said, go back to Bethel and make an altar there to God. What he's saying is, worship me. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. This is where he was before he left, and he's supposed to have come back there. But notice the first aspect of, of getting right with God is dealing with sin and cleanse and confession. These two things, notice, I think, that, I think I have it up on this slide. We see in verses 2 and 3 the dealing with sin and the confession and cleansing. Look at verse 2. So Jacob said to his household and all who are with him, what we've got to do is get rid of this sin. Put away the foreign gods which are among you and purify yourselves. Change your garments. That's the idea of cleansing. And, and let's arise and let's go to Bethel. I'll make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of distress and has been with me wherever. 
I have gone. So he says, we got to get right. And so the first two things we saw is they dealt with the sin because they got rid of all these false gods. In fact, the v- verse 4 says that they took them and they hid them under a tree. That's what they did. And then you see this whole cleansing aspect, and they've changed clothes in a sense. That's the symbolic aspect of let's getting our lives together. Now, as we go on, there are two other parts. And the two aspects are to remember the promises, and we see the act of worship. That's what happens. Well, we're going to see the, the promises, and that's where we are in verse 9. If you turn there, that's where we are because we're going to see God reminds Jacob of the past blessings and the covenant and the promises. Look at Genesis 35. Look at verse 9. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padaram, and he blessed him. Now, God appears to him and blesses him, and, and notice what he's going to do. He's going to remind him of his name change. Now, this already happened, and we won't, we won't take the time to do this, but let, let me read something to you. This is back, chapter 32, verse 28. God says to him, if you remember the story, when Jacob wrestled with God that night, here's what God said to him in Genesis 32, 28. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and prevailed. And so even right then, God said, your name is Israel. Now we're over here in chapter 35, and God's going to remind him of that name change, and he's going to talk about the covenant. Notice what he says. God said to him, this is verse 10, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. Now, as I said, that's not the first time he told him that, but he reminds him of that. Sometimes people say things like, I wonder why God said that again. I mean, he already said it back in chapter 32. Why does he have to say it in 35? Uh, does he have to remind us, as, right, remind us of anything that he's told us? I mean, think about it, right? Uh, we have it all written down, and we can't remember it. And so he continues to go back and remind us of these things. Now, he says, remember, Jacob means deceiver or trickster. Israel means prince of God. And that's who he's going to be. Thus he called him Israel. Now, he's going to remind him of the covenant. And of that covenant is the land, the seed, and the blessing. And the Abrahamic covenant, which started with Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, is the key to the Bible. It's the key that sets everything apart because God set apart a people, a man by the name of Abraham, which became what we call the first Jew, and the Abraham and the Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons of Jacob. These are the Jewish people. He sets them apart. He makes an agreement with them, and he promises them a land. He promises them an offspring and a Messiah that comes through them, and he promises them a blessing. We never want to take that for granted. Notice what he says. Verse 10 again, God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob. Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God said to him, I am God Almighty. You know the name. You've heard the name over and over. God Almighty is what? It's El Shaddai. It is. It's El Shaddai. It's God Almighty. God the Mighty One. God the Providing One. The God who supplies. He says, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. He says, be fruitful and multiply. You you could think, well, I already got 12 sons. My gracious, I'm doing pretty good so far, I think, right? A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. That's right. A nation is going to come from a company of nations. And then he says to him, and kings shall come forth from you. And they did. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give it to you. I will give you the land to your descendants after you. Now, that is the covenant blessings, the land and the seed and the blessing. He says, a nation shall come from you and kings shall come from you and, and the offspring shall come from you. And, and he goes over the covenant again. And it's the same thing as he told him back in Genesis 28, 
13 and 14, the land, the seed, the blessing. God reminds Jacob that he has the same covenant which was given to Abraham and Isaac. You understand that, as I said a while ago, that is the most important, I think, the most important. Um, well, you know, there are a lot of covenants in the Scripture. Uh, there's the, you know, the covenant that God made with Adam and Eve and God made with Noah and this covenant here. But, but this separates, this puts together the whole Bible. This puts together the whole Bible for us as we see a people group, Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, Jacob and the 12 sons of the 12 tribes of Israel. You know, we think about it. We, we think of this man right here. His name is Jacob, but God changed his name to Israel. And today, what do we say? We say, well, the land of Israel, let's go find it on a map. That land is there. The people are still there. This people group, which we call the Jews. And most of you know this, and this is not new, but if you've been in a well, 412 or 22, you've heard me say this before. But the Jewish people, we, we call them these different names. When Abraham left the Ur of the Chaldees, Abram, his name was called then, left the Ur of the Chaldees, he crossed over the Tigris Euphrates River. And the one who crosses over that name is a Hebrew. One who crosses over. That's why Jewish people are sometimes called Hebrews, because they crossed over. And then you have the, the, the name Israel which is the other name of Jacob. And so sometimes Jewish people are called Israelites because they're descendant. And then after the nation of Israel split into two parts, there was the northern empire and the southern empire. The southern empire was called Judah. And oftentimes Jews, Jewish people are called Jews. That's a slang or a nickname for Judah, Jews. So sometimes Jews are called Hebrews, sometimes they're called Israelites, sometimes they're called Jews. All going back to this people group that God made the covenant. So it's pretty powerful. So watch what happens. God said to him, I'm God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. Nations going to come for you, kings going to come for you. I'm going to give you the land, the same land I gave to Abraham and Isaac. And I will give notice, and I give the land to your descendants. After you. Jewish people. And people say. Who's Jewish people? Because there was Abraham and who? Ishmael. You know. Isaac and Ishmael. And Jacob and Esau. And sometimes people say. Well. You can't say. That a Jewish people. Are the descendants of Abraham. You can't say that. You can say. Jewish people. Are the descendants of Abraham. Through Isaac. Through Jacob. That's how you have to say it. Because Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and Ishmael's not Jewish in that sense. And, and Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. We're going to see the next chapter. If you look ahead, the next chapter gives the descendants of Esau. They're called Edomites. They're not called Jews. So when people say Jewish people, you can't just say Jewish people are descendants of Abraham. They're descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. That's how you have to put it. These are the people that have the promises. I want to say one other thing. That just because God chose Abraham did not mean he was saved. He chose Abraham to carry out his purposes. Now, Abraham was saved because Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, it says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Because God chose Jewish people does not save them. They're saved by faith in the same way that anybody is saved by faith. He chose this people group to carry out certain of his plans, certain of his promises. Certain of the things that he wanted to do. And if you think about the Jewish people, they, he gave us the Messiah and he gave us the word of God. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. Notice what he says to him. Then God went up from him in that place where he had spoken with him. Now we've been talking about getting, you know, preparing for worship, getting right with God. So we saw that they dealt with sin. There's cleansing and confession. They remembered God's promises. There's one more thing that they do. And this is the act of worship. This is where it all comes together. Look at the response. Verse 14. Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him. A pillar of stone. 
and he poured out a drink offering on it. He also poured oil on it. Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel, which means the house of God. Now he set up a pillar. That's an altar. He took some stone and he set it up. And what did he did? He poured out a drink offering on that. What does that mean? He took wine. He took and he and he toured, put wine and he poured it on top of the rocks and just went all over it. We'd say, well, what in the world was that? That was an act of worship. Because of drink offering. In the Old Testament, they had different offerings. Some offerings for sin, some offerings for dedication, some offerings for thanksgiving. It's a lot of times when we think about people bringing sacrifices, we always think, well, they brought sacrifices to cover their sin. Not all sacrifices. In fact, many sacrifices had nothing to do with sin. There were some things called a thank offering, in which you came to God and you thanked Him. For something that he did for you. In fact sometimes when people were in trouble. And they said oh Lord if you will help me. I will remember you. And he helped them. And so then they came and they offered a thank offering. Saying I just want to thank God for all that he did for me. Had nothing to do with sin. And there was a meal offering in which they offered. And and sometimes they were offerings that they brought. And then they ate it. It was like a picnic. They brought it. Part of it was offered up. And they ate the rest of it. This was an offering which was called a drink offering. And they took... Wine, most likely wine, and poured it out. It was symbolic of pouring out their lives for God. It would be the same as us saying, I want my life to count for Christ. It would be the same as Romans 12, 1 and 2 for us, where we'd say, I give my life, I offer my life as a living sacrifice. And so this drink offering, in fact, I think I have it right there. A drink offering was a dedication, an offering itself, symbolic of pouring out self Pouring uh, self out to God. It, it was the idea of saying, I, I give my life. I think the next slide does have the Romans 12, 1 and 2 where we offer our lives. So in the same way that you and your life said, God, I want my life to count for you. I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. I, I give you my life in service. No, we're not talking about salvation, of course. Salvation is a gift. It doesn't cost us anything. This is what cost us. This is, this is an act of worship. This is saying to God, I give you my life. And this is what Israel did. This is what Jacob did. He then set this pillar up and he poured out a drink offering. He also poured oil on it. Uh, some people say the oil was just symbolic of, of God's spirit. And once again, pouring out a life and those kind of things. So here's a question. That uh, for all of us, number one, I hope and pray that everyone in this room that you would say, I know for sure I have eternal life. I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I understand Jesus came on the earth. He died on the cross. He paid for sin. He rose again. He offers the gift of eternal life. And I receive the gift of eternal life simply by faith. I believe in him. It is God who so loved me, so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes has eternal life. I would hope and pray that every one of you in this room, if somebody said to you, do you have eternal life? You'd say, yes, I have trusted in Christ as my Savior. The second big question for us, though, is have we poured out our lives, in a sense, for Christ? And that's the Romans 12, where you offer your life. And, you know, it's the greatest thing ever. I mean, we that's it, cost us now. Being saved costs us absolutely nothing. But when we pour out our lives, when we say to God, I give you my life, it costs you your life. And I hope and pray that every one of you in this room have come to a point where you say to God, I want my life to count for you. You'll never be the same. If you've never done it, you need to really consider, do you want your life to count for Christ? Because as a believer, you can go through life. You can go through life and not serve God. You can. But what he wants you to do is your life count for him as an act of worship. And so just as, as Jacob took that, that, uh, that drink offering and poured it out, he was saying to God, I give you my life. I hope and pray that all of us who know Christ as Savior say, God, I, I give you my life wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do.
We see how this ties together in this, in a sense, getting right with God. There was dealing with sin and confession and cleansing and remembering the promises of God. And then the act of worship. Very powerful. Now, watch what happens here in verse 15. This is where he calls the place the house of God. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him, Bethel. That, when it says there, it, it's, that's not new. He called it Bethel the first time when he left. And then when he came back at a second time, he called it El Bethel, which means uh, God, the house, the house of God. I mean, th- th- so this is not something new. It just reminded us. That this is the place where he met with God. This is the place that God met with him as he left. This is the place that God meets with him when he comes back. And you know, one thing, great thing about it is, we would probably say the 20 years that he was gone were not good 20 years. Even though God blessed him through the whole thing because God promised to bless him. Not because he was deserving of it, but because God chose to bless him. And yet, here was the place that God, God said, I'm with you. God said, I'll be with you when you're gone. When you come back here, guess what? I'm still with you. I'm always with you. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we ever fear? So I pray that we worship our great God and Savior as we offer our lives to Him, responding to Him, who He is and what He has done. Well, as we continue, we're going to see the sovereign working of God in all these events. And, and, and you know, we realize that God causes all things to work together for good. Those that love God, those are called according to His purpose. Job says this, and as you look at this passage, because there's, there's good and bad that happen in life. But all things work together for good. Even though it may be bad, it's going to work together for good. Job said this. He said, shall we accept uh, just good and not bad from God? Everything, everything comes from God. In this passage, we're going to see two things, a good and a bad. The birth of Benjamin, yay, good. The death of Rachel, oh, sad. That's what you see all at one time. And that's what life is. Life is full of goods and bads and ups and downs and ins and outs. And, and we say, I just have to trust God as we go through life. Look at verse 16. Then they journeyed from Bethel, and while they were still some distance to Ephrath, Ephrath is actually another name for Bethlehem, Rachel began to give birth, and she suffered severe labor. Now, this is not, this, she's going to have a baby, but this is not good. It's, it's, not, it's severe labor. And in those days and time, they said, let's go get them in the emergency room. There wasn't an emergency room. They're just out there. They're on the way to what we call Bethlehem. It's called Ephrath there. And they, they're on the way there, and she's going into labor, and they're going, this is not good. And, and they're saying, they're whispering by going, I don't, I don't think this is good. This is, this is really hard. This, she's suffering. This is not normal labor. And when she was in severe labor, the midwife said to her, don't fear, for now you have another son. What's Joseph's name? Remember, that's her first son, right? What's his name? You remember what his name meant? Huh? It meant give me another son, wasn't it? Another son. That's what the name means. Right after she had Joseph, she named him, give me another son. What did this midwife say? Don't be afraid. You now have what? Another son. This is what she's wanted. But she's dying. I always think this is so sad. When you study the Bible, what I've always tried to do, when I study the Bible, I try to pretend I'm there. I try to pretend I'm part of all this. And so here we are on the way. We're not to Bethlehem yet or Ephrath. And Rachel's given birth and, and it, it doesn't look good. And, and we know something's wrong. And, and we heard the midwife say, it's a boy. It's a boy coming out. But it came about as her soul was departing. For she died. That she named him Ben-Oah. But his father called him Benjamin. That first name means son of my sorrow. She knew she was dying. 
And so she said, this is my son of my sorrow as I die. But Jacob, he didn't want having a son going through life called son of sorrow. Because they'd always say, why do you call that? Because when my mother had me, she died. So he said, no, 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 we've got to call him Benjamin, son of my right hand, my right hand son, my right hand son. In all the events of life, there's ups and downs and joys and sorrow. You could say, what a great joy. You got a little boy. What a great sorrow. Your wife died. That's what life is like, isn't it? God's in control in all the good things and all the tough things. Verse 19, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar over her grave, and that is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. When Moses wrote this, he said, that pillar's still out there. You can see it as you go by. It says, Rachel, Rachel's buried here. Then Israel, notice how he calls him here. Now, there's going to be times he's called Jacob, but there's also times he's called Israel. Then Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent toward the Tower of Eder. It journeyed on toward this place. Now, there's just one verse. Now, this this last part has, has three things in it. The sin of Reuben, the listing of the twelve sons, and the death of Isaac, this last section. But I want you to notice that there's a verse that's just like put in there. Just so you know what's happened. Look at verse 22. It's the, the sin of Reuben. It says, Now it came about while Israel was dwelling in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. We'd say, why, why, would, why would Reuben do that? Uh, you know, the Bible never hides people's sins or failure. Reuben had sexual relations with his father's handmaid, with one of his father's wives, really. Reuben's the oldest son. He's next in line. But this is symbolically, if we're doing this, he's actually saying, I want to take control of this family. When my daddy's gone, I'm the man. That's what he's really saying. In fact, it's actually a challenge. By doing that, it was a challenge to his father. It was not a very wise act by Reuben. There will be consequences that will go on and affect Reuben and his family for the rest of their lives. One of the things that we have to realize, notice how the last part of the verse is, it says, and Israel heard of it. He knew exactly what happened. And apparently at this time, he maybe doesn't do anything but this book's not over with yet. We'll see something toward the end. When you get over to about chapter 49, we'll see what happens. Actions have consequences. When we do wrong, I talked about it this morning in my Sunday school class, when we do wrong, it not only affects us, but it affects others as well. We told the story this morning of a man named Achan who went and stole when the nation, when the children of Israel went into the promised land and destroyed Jericho. They weren't supposed to touch anything there, and he stole some things and hid it in his tent. And when it was found out, Achan and his sons and his daughters and his wife and his animals and everything was destroyed. They all suffered the consequences. Our sin never affects just us. 
Now, briefly, we, he gives us the listing of the sons, just so we can understand it. Now, the 12 sons of Jacob, and he lists them this way. He starts with Leah. says, now, the sons of Leah were Reuben, as Jacob's firstborn, and he just told us what Reuben did, so not a good idea. Then Simeon and Levi. Then, do you remember anything about Simeon and Levi? Yeah, they're the ones that went in and killed all those people in Shechem. Those two. Not a good move, right? We're already down to Judah, right? It says the sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, then Simeon and Levi and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun. Now the sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, which was Rachel's maid, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maid, were Gad and Asher. That's the twelve. These are the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padamaram. So he lists the sons. God's chosen people. From these people, what do we get? I think we have the next slide. These people give us the word of God. These people, this is a Jewish book. It's come from the nation of Israel. God gives us the Bible, the written word of God from these chosen people. And also God gives us the Messiah. He's Jewish. He's the living word. The written word and the living word come through the Jewish people. The Messiah, the living word, and the written word, the Bible, come from this people group that God chose. One final thing, and that's the, the death of Isaac, which is sort of sad, isn't it? Because when you think of Abraham, you think Abraham, the man of faith, and then you go Jacob and all the stuff that happened to him, and you think of Joseph, and then you say, now who was that other guy? Oh, that was Isaac. Because we only had two chapters about Isaac, really. Only two chapters. Notice, Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre of Kareth Arbar, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. He comes back, he's still living where he originally lived. He's 180 years old. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. And he's going to die. Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, an old man of ripe age. And guess who's there to bury him? And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. I call Isaac the quiet man. Because you think about it, you got Abraham was the man of faith, and Jacob was the prince of God, that's Israel. You got Joseph, who is he is a picture of the Savior King. That's who he really is. Joseph's a picture of Jesus because he's despised by his own family and is raised up to be the one to save his people. And Jesus Christ, of course, is despised and rejected by his people, and he's raised up to be the Messiah and the King. Joseph. But look at Isaac. He's faithful to follow God. He's a quiet man. He just sort of did what he was supposed to do. Not famous in the same sense as some of these others, but faithful. And I think that's the goal. You know, if they could say anything about you, it might be that the key is to be found what? Faithful. Well done, good, and faithful servant. That's what we want to be. Next time, we bring to close really this whole thing we're going to look at chapter 36 you see and we'll go fairly quickly through it because if you've ever read chapter 36 it's just a listing of a whole bunch of names but it's the record of esau and notice notice chapter 36 verse 1 now these are the records of the generations of esau that is who edom that's the edomites that's not jews esau's not considered jewish because he's not Remember the Jewish people, Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and the 12 sons of Jacob. And so all of chapter 36 deals with that. So next time we go through this, we'll go through it fairly quickly and we'll get right on into chapter 37. And chapter 37, uh, we meet Joseph and more details on him. And the rest of the book primarily is about Joseph. There's Jacob's there a little bit, but it's Joseph. He's the man.
So what have we seen? God tells Jacob to go to Bethel. To Bethel, He gets right. He prepares for worship. He deals with sin. He confesses. He remembers God's promises. And, and then there's the worship. And he pours out the drink offering. And then we see events that are both joy and sorrow. The birth of Benjamin and the death of Rachel. And God's working in all these events. Let me give you some applications. The first one is this. Let's worship God as we get right with God. That's the key. We're actually going to think about that tonight as we do the Lord's Supper. But sometimes in our lives we move away from God. Sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes we're not even realizing. It. Sometimes it's slow. We do things uh, that we shouldn't do, and, and we keep doing them. And before you know it, we're in a habit of doing things we should not do. We allow things to come into our lives that hurt our relationship and break our fellowship with God. And there may even be sin in your life tonight. There may be sin in our lives and that, that is stopping us from growing and becoming more and more like our Savior. So what do we do? Well, we do those things. Number one is we deal with, let's put it up there, we deal with sin. We, we forsake it. We, we deal with it. Just like they said, okay, we've got to get rid of all these gods. They had that stuff with them. We've got to get rid of that. The second thing is we, there's confession and cleansing. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. The idea of getting back into fellowship. Luther said this, a cup for show needs only to be cleaned on the outside. But a cup for service must be clean on the inside and the outside. Now, if you just want to show, you can be dirty on the inside and look good on the outside. But you want to serve God, you've got to be clean both places. That's the key. Remember what Jesus said about the Pharisees? He said, you look good on the outside, but inside you're horrible. He said, you're just like whitewashed tombs. Because, see, in those days, you're not supposed to ever step on a tomb. For the Jewish people, they didn't want to be unclean. And so they would go along and they would whitewash them. They would cover the tombs, make them real white so people could see them. They look good on the outside, but he said, but inside they're full of what? Dead men bones. He said, that's what the Pharisees are like. You look good on the outside, but you're bad on the inside. We want to confess and be clean. And then the key. Remember God's promises and blessings. He's got promises for us all through the Bible. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He gives us eternal life. Uh, he'll provide. He'll protect. He is the one who died and rose again. We are new creations in Christ. So remember the promises God has for us. And then the worship. Now, the next one, I think. To worship him. And one of the great passages in this aspect of worship was to to pour out the drink offering. I think an act of worship for all of us would to say, God, I just want my life to count for you. Wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, deal with sin, cleanse and confess. Remember God's promises. Worship Him. Second application is just remember that God is working in all the events of our lives. God causes all things to work together for good. He didn't say everything was good, but He works all things together for good. So we have to trust Him. We have to trust Him as we go through life. And then third thing is just remember this. The, realize the effects of sin. Wow. What Reuben did, There's one verse. And Reuben lay with his father's concubine and Israel heard of it. That's it. That's all it says. But the consequences of that go on forever. And when Jacob brings in his sons and what he says about Reuben, it goes back to this event. So it's pretty powerful. May we deal with sin 
knowing the consequences so that we can worship our God. And in fact, as we, we end tonight, we think of the aspect of getting right with God and worshiping Him. We'll see that and we'll think about that as we have the Lord's Supper. Let me, let me pray and then we'll think about, uh, remembering the death and resurrection of our Savior. Heavenly Father, what a great night as we study this passage, as you teach us, as we see things that are there. We just ask you, Lord, that as we look at this, we'll think about the life of Jacob and, and in a sense getting right with God and the worshiping and all of those different things. And Lord, we want to think about it tonight as we have the greatest privilege of all, and that is to remember the death and resurrection of our Savior Jesus. Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray from the passage tonight that you, that you not only have taught us, but we'll make application and our lives will be changed. Teach us now, Lord, especially as we remember our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.